Paul describes the life of Jesus as a great mystery. It doesn't mean that it can't be understood. It means like any mystery, it's got to be investigated. The truth is, everybody who investigates the life of Christ comes away believing. And everyone who doesn't believe, never truly investigated. The great mystery that he talks about has six parts. Number one, God was manifest in the flesh. That's Jesus, the Son of God. Part number two of this this mystery... God's manifestation in the flesh was justified by the Spirit of God. That is, the Holy Spirit gave His clear endorsement that, yes, this is God in human flesh. How did He do that? He did that by the overwhelming power that Jesus had. Nicodemus said, we know that thou art come from God. No man can do the things that you do except he come from God. And the power that Jesus had, the miracles that he did, was through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit, by the way, that you have living inside of you if you're a child of God. So the Spirit of God justified, that is, he endorsed the fact that, yes, this man is God in human flesh. Third part of the ministry, God Manifest in the flesh and the person of Jesus was seen of angels. There were several times while God was manifest in the flesh that powerful angels of God came and attended to him. They were there at his birth. They were there after his temptation by Satan. They were there at his resurrection. The fourth part of this great mystery is that God manifest in the flesh and the person of Jesus was preached to the Gentiles. Now, this was after he was gone. But the crossing over from the Gentiles, I'm sorry, from the Jews to the Gentiles, was a very significant factor. The Jews and the Gentiles had nothing to do with each other. But here was a man who was a Jew and whose life impacted the Jews and was considered a part of the Jewish people And yet his message overflowed to the Gentiles. The fifth part of this mystery is that Jesus, God in the flesh, was believed on in the world. In this dark, sin-cursed world, there have always been those who could see and who believed with all their hearts that Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. The sixth part of this mystery is that Jesus, God in the flesh, when his mission was complete, ascended back to heaven as his disciples watched. Without controversy, Paul said, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up into glory. This great mystery is based in one great truth. God was manifest in the flesh. God became a man. Jesus was God in human flesh. When you saw Jesus, 
you were seeing God. And even now as you read the life of Jesus Christ in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see how he acted, how he spoke to people, how he treated people, his compassion, his long-suffering, his power. When you see the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you are seeing not just what God would be if he were a man, but who God is and who God was when he became a man. When you saw Jesus, you were seeing God. When you heard Jesus, you were hearing God. When you touched Jesus, you were touching God. You say, well, all right, so Paul calls that a mystery. What's so mysterious about that? Well, God is all-powerful, and man is very weak. God is infinite, and man is limited. God is eternal, man's days are numbered. God is holy, man has rebelled against God. There is a an immeasurable dis- difference between who God is and who man is. And yet God became a man. God is massive. The Bible says that the universe is as the span of God's right hand. The universe is 12 billion light years across. That's the span of God's right hand. God is massive. You and I, in comparison to that, we are a tiny speck on a tiny speck. When you look at a picture of the universe, you can't even see the planet Earth. And when you look at the planet Earth, you dead sure can't see any one of us. We are a tiny speck on a tiny speck. So God, whose right hand is the size of the universe, which is 12 billion light years across, became a man who is the size of a tiny speck living on a tiny speck. That's why it's a great mystery. That that awesome, almighty, immeasurable, infinite God should put himself in a human body like yours and like mine and live here before us. So why did God become a man? God became a man to provide a remedy for our rebellion. One reason that the pieces don't all fit together for us is because we don't realize the extent of our rebellion against God. It only takes a little bit of paying attention to realize just how much this human race hates God. And yet God became a man to provide a remedy for our rebellion. You don't have to. Pay the price for your own sins. Jesus already paid the price for you. He already provided a remedy for your sins. That's why he became a man.
Because if God didn't become a man in the person of Jesus Christ, you and I would be responsible for our own sins. God became a man to conquer sin and death. God became a man to redeem this sin-cursed world. God became a man to show us how we are supposed to live. This was not just his birth, but his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. The most amazing, wonderful, world-changing event in the history of the human race. It's not just about a little baby born in Bethlehem. It's not just about some shepherds and some wise men and some animals and all the little legends and myths that we've made up to go with. You know, when I was a kid, I heard that the night Jesus was born, all the animals talked. Don't know where that comes from, but it's not in the Bible. But why do we need that? Why do we need the little drummer boy on the scene? Don't know where that comes from, but the one thing that that song does is it allows rock singers to have a Christmas song that, that, you know, that doesn't have to talk about Jesus, but it still makes people think, oh, he's a, he's a good guy. He sang about the little drummer boy. Why do we need these little extras? We don't. It, at that scene, God became a man. Provide the remedy for our rebellion, to conquer sin and death, to redeem this sin-cursed world, and to show us how we were are supposed to live. So, and I'm wrapping it up, really. The fact that God became a man, what does that mean to me? It means a number of things. It means, number one, that I can be forgiven of my rebellion. Make no mistake, folks. And make sure your friends know and make sure your family members know that if they are not forgiven of their rebellion against God, they are going to face God someday and be in big, big trouble forever. But because God became a man, I can be forgiven of my rebellion. God the Father, if I choose, says to me through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. The fact that God became a man means that I have a mediator between God and me who knows what it's like to live on this earth. Now look, God Almighty in heaven, God the Father, I don't doubt his ability to know how difficult it is to live on this earth. I don't know that he had to become a man to know. But I know this. We wouldn't believe him when he says, I know how you feel. If he hadn't come. Does that make sense? I think he's powerful enough to know how we feel without having lived here. But we would not necessarily have believed him 
But now we do. Jesus lived on this earth. He knows what it, your mediator, the one that when you go in prayer and you say, Dear Heavenly Father, please pay the bills. Please provide for my family. Please help me with this need. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus is your mediator. And your mediator knows what it's like to be alone and lonely. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be be homeless. He chose to live outdoors in order to live the life of a traveling preacher. The Bible says that he was in Tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Every feeling that you feel as a human being, Jesus experienced it. And that's your mediator. What does it mean that God became a man? It means that I have access to God in prayer. It means that God will be my father and I can be his child. The fact that God became a man means that I can live in fellowship with God every day of my life. You can talk to him and he hears you. You can read his word and he speaks to you. You have the promise, the assurance that you could begin each day saying, Lord, thank you for loving me. Jesus, I love you. Praise you for your goodness. Thank you for your blessings. You have all that because God became a man. You realize that before God became a man, they didn't have that. They had a bunch of symbols, things that symbolized God becoming a man. But God would not fully deliver on those things until God actually became a man and Jesus paid the price for our sins and conquered death. We now have all these blessings. The fact that God became a man means that I can have God living in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Raise your hand. You have the Spirit of God. The Bible calls him in one place the Spirit of Christ. Living in you. He'll go with you all day today, tomorrow, the next day. He's with you all of the time. He will play as big a role in your life as you will allow him to. Because God became a man. You have the spirit of God living in you. Because God became a man, I can live in victory. Because God became a man, my life can have purpose, eternal purpose. Because God became a man, I always have hope. Because God became a man, I can live forever with God. All because God was manifest in the flesh. So I don't understand how all that is possible just because God became a man. It doesn't make sense to me. And That's the mystery. It's the mystery that needs to be investigated. 
by every human being. And I'm simply here this morning to invite you to become an investigator of the mystery of God becoming flesh and dwelling on this earth. You understand this is the great discerner of humans of all time. There was a man, he was Ethiopian, and a one of the disciples, a man named Philip, met him. And he showed him how to be saved from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And they were riding along in a chariot as they were talking to each other, and they came to a body of water. And that Ethiopian soldier said, you know, I've heard of people being baptized when they were putting their faith in Jesus Christ. What would it take for me to be baptized? And do you know what Philip asked him? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? That is the determining question. Do you believe that Jesus was just a man? You can't argue the historical fact that he lived. That's history. There's more evidence that Jesus lived than there is that George Washington lived. And I don't think anybody doubts that George Washington lived. You can't. If you ever meet somebody that disputes that Jesus lived on this earth, you're talking to a moron. But the question is, was he God in the flesh? If your answer is yes, God says you have everlasting life. If your answer is no, it's because you haven't investigated. I would urge those of you who have said yes to Jesus Christ to spend the rest of your life investigating the mystery of godliness. It'll keep you intrigued and satisfied at the same time for as long as you live. If you make the mystery of godliness the great pursuit of your life. To those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have never acknowledged that Jesus was not just a man. He was God in the flesh. He died for our sins and rose again to provide us redemption from our rebellion. If you've never done that, don't wait another moment. Make that choice now. And let me help you make that choice. It's very simple. Based upon what you've heard in the last 20 minutes of me talking. Acknowledge to God that you believe that Jesus, who came to this earth and was crucified and rose again from the dead, that he was God in the flesh on your behalf so that you could be forgiven. You talk to him right now. Let's bow our heads. If you're here this morning, you've never made